had to me. And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike in a moment as we bring you an Oscar sprint profile of yet another contender in the uh, early part of the year, but the late part of the film year as we still are working our way towards Oscars 2021, covering the film year of 2020, which somehow went 14 or 16 months long. But we'll recap all of that as we are talking today about Judas and the Black Messiah, Michael. It's a never-ending film year, but <laughs> I'm glad that we got a couple extra months here where we're getting some more oh, good great. movies, and I'm glad we can give this film uh, the full study treatment, the full Oscar sprint profile treatment today. Look, I mean, we, we've said this uh, in many reviews because we are just limited as two white guys <laughs> from a certain upbringing, from a certain yeah. place. We're in Connecticut. We're not in Hollywood. But look, Extremely I mean, privileged, yes. Look, we know we don't know all, can't know all, and that we have these limitations. So mm-hmm. we're going to talk about an important film today. We did our best to study it, and I'm, I'm glad we can. I'm willing to engage in this conversation, as are you, as we, as we always are, Mike. And if, if we showcase ignorance, if we sh- open the doors to... The fact that we, you know, uh, put ourselves out there and we're not right and we're not all the way there, then please, by all means, tell us. And I think that's willing to be wrong is how I talk myself into doing this, right? I mean, because we've got to be willing (laughs) to be wrong or not 100% right. And look, you know, I get frustrated with other film critics a lot of the time, especially Mm -hmm. recently, last few weeks, Mike. I just see a lot of people glossing over this, giving this movie reviews, and they're just not willing to bite in and study the film, and it drives me insane. Now, there's a lot Mm -hmm. of great reviews out there. I've tried to study those. We'll reference some as well. However, it just we got to do our thing. We got to do the best we can, and we're reliant on all of you out there, our audience members, to let us know your thoughts, because sometimes we don't even know what we don't know. Yeah, we we always say, you know, if nothing else in this show, we're going to be honest about the movies we see. Uh, Part of that honesty is us us saying, you know, we know there's things we can't relate to and won't relate to and don't know and will never experience. And I I think you said it best. we, We want to learn. We want to to make the world a better place for all peoples uh, in our little small corner of this podcasting world. So uh, we're going to try to do that today. And like you said, again, beautifully, if, if we're wrong on something, by all means, uh, we, we give you our socials at the end of every show. You know where to reach us. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Let us know. We want to know. We want to better ourselves. We want to make this world a better place than when we found it in any way we can. Uh, so I, I think that's, that's a good start. And we are talking about a movie that is polarizing not only for those reasons, but polarizing in a lot of ways, even Mm -hmm. though it seems to be getting a lot of praise lately, maybe not awards-level praise as maybe some people, or one of the mics here certainly, at least, seems it should. Uh, Mike, we're talking about Judas and the Black Messiah today. Yeah, I think think it's building some momentum. Does it have enough momentum? Uh, We'll we'll talk about it. We'll We'll put our awards pundit hats on. But yeah, our DMs are open. I mean, I've... I've been having a lot of fun talking to people uh, for a while now. We've had some ongoing conversations for months and years in some cases, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, they they really are enlightening. It, it's it's fun. Please. 
Agree, agree. So yeah, I, I'm going back to three minutes ago, you, but you were on a roll <laughs> introducing the movie. Anyway, Mike, yeah, this is uh, co-written, produced, and directed by Shaka King here. Yes, so Shaka King primarily directed comedy up to this point. Newly Weeds was a stoner movie he directed in 2013, but since then he's directed episodes of People of Earth and the A.D. Bryant Hulu show Shrill. This movie was also produced by Ryan Coogler, of course, of Fruitvale Station, Creed, and Black Panther. Co-written by uh, Will Burson. I think this is his first feature film, but he also did a bunch of TVs, been on a million different film sets as a, as a crew member, etc. He is a white guy who co-wrote this, but there was a you know there's a lot of scripts going around about Fred Hampton. Obviously, Trial of Chicago Seven, in, in its own way, mm-hmm. is also about Fred Hampton to a degree. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, scripts going around, and uh, you listen to interviews by Shaka King. He talked about the synthesis. He talked about which direction they went with. A lot of great interviews. Big Picture was the most recent one I listened to this morning, but. Uh, it, it's fascinating. The production story behind the story here is also it, it's it's quite interesting. So listen to that, Mike. This movie stars Daniel Kaluuya, Lakeith Stanfield, Jesse Plemons, and Dominique Fishback, amongst others. We're gonna have a lot to talk about mm-hmm. with this cast and this ensemble, this award-nominated ensemble. But I kind of wanted to start out just you know mentioning this. Like HBO Max now is in the game. Forty-one point five million subscribers, up from twenty-eight point seven at the end of September. This matters because this is an awards movie that's got to be a hit. Like, it did $2 million at the box office last weekend, and it, it, 38% of the box office is open, right? So that would have mm. been over, well over $10 million If you Can I do math? Well, well close to $10 million. <laughs> So I, I think so. Well, but here's the thing. The, the cities aren't open. Obviously, this movie plays well. Right, right. It would have played well. So you, you could project that it would have done over $10 million. Uh, at the larger box office if if major cities were open. But this movie's got to be a hit for HBO Max. It's an awards-level film that that demands attention now in particular. What do you think is the overall, you know, effect of a Judas and the Black Messiah on a streaming service? Now, one might say, Michael, it's the little things that are adding up for HBO Max, as I can put a terrible dad joke in the middle of this. Perfect. Uh, (laughs) I, I think they've done a... It's one of the most bewildering rollouts ever because i hated the introduction hbo max has been around for about a year now now that they do have marquee titles like judas and the black messiah like the little things it can only help and i think they're actually putting more money into the marketing i have nothing to prove that with other than the fact that i've just seen Seen more hbo max available i mean i've seen judas and the black messiah and especially the little things even more than i saw wonder woman 84 commercials it's, and, and it's awesome. Promotional materials. It is. It's great. And it's great to see. And Lord knows AT&T and Warner have deep enough pockets to get themselves into the streaming game. So, I mean, what is the effect of having a movie like this? It can only help. And I do think this is, whether it's an awards-worthy film, obviously that's going to be the majority of our discussion here in our conversation. But it's certainly a, a, an enriching film and a, a great film to watch, I think. It's a great movie experience. So having that is just an asset to any streaming service. Yeah, I agree, and I think uh, based on the marketing, (laughs) we're seeing enough marketing to make us think that they have to be making money on the marketing, otherwise why market it so much? (laughs) But yeah, the year year end was 41.5 million subs. A lot of those were activated. We've covered it before. That was year-end numbers for HBO Max. Like, we've just gotten Disney numbers that went up to almost 95 million. Mm -hmm. We just got Netflix numbers that went up to 204 million. Hell, today, Hollywood Reporter was, was talking about Disney surpassing Netflix, there was a report there, they'd surpass Netflix in 2026, so HBO Max is very much in the game now, you wonder if they're closing in on 50 at this point, so the gamble seems to have worked 
you know, it seems to have worked for this particular year. And all the marketing is an indication of we we think might be perhaps mayhaps be some success. I I still stand by it's got the deepest library of content. Right. Out of any, the most palatable and appealing for anyone who wants anything. And well, I've been, it's for us too. It's for thirty right. somethings. It's the perfect streaming. Well, service not only. I mean, Mike, I've been I've been crushing movies from the forties because Turner Classic has a hub on there. You know, like I just watched the Philadelphia Story the other day, and 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 a couple other ones. I can't mm-hmm. remember the names of off the top of my head because I'm an idiot. But yeah, but you're also a seventy year old man trapped in a mid thirty something body, though. Too. Except right now, it's a nineties year old body because I literally <laughs> am just trapped. I'm Jimmy Stewart. I'm That's I'm the true. grandpa from Charlie in the chocolate factory right now so uh yeah there's a lot of things going against me but yeah it's going to be that's something we continually touch on and keep an eye on and something we will always keep an eye on let's dive deep into judas and the black messiah specifically today as it's cast you mentioned mike daniel kaluuya is one of the major players here and he has gotten a globe a critics choice and sag nominations for his performance here uh the globes also nominated her for the song Fight For You as an original song nominee at that show, and the Critics' Choice nominated the film for Best Ensemble. Judas and the Black Messiah also secured a spot in both AFI's and the National Board of Review's Top 10 Films of 2020 list. So let's go into what the premise for this movie was. Yeah, the plot premise reads, The story of Fred Hampton, chairman of the Illinois Black Panther Party, and his fateful betrayal by FBI informant William O'Neill Mike. We said this was the trailer of the year, and I yeah. re- recently saw it again. It's just absolute, like, the blood, your blood boils, goosebumps mm-hmm. on the back of your neck. Greatest trailer of 2020. The Sundance Film Festival came into play. I watched it. It was my seventh film of the day at Sundance. Oh, Sunday? Or Monday? When did I watch? I think it was Monday. My seventh film of Monday. I had nothing else to do but watch movies that day, thankfully. And unfortunately, I went, like, the midday, I watched, like, one or two bad movies, and I drank a Bud Light. <laughs> and then I was like, the movie got worse, and then I brought, I was like, fuck it, I brought two. And they never do this. I never do this. This is why I'm not writing reviews for every fucking Sundance movie that I watch, because I just can't. I mean, their first impressions, fine. I mean, I'll get to that point where I'll cover film festivals that way, I think, maybe, I hope. But I'm not there yet, and... I don't drink. I'm not a drinker, but I drank <laughs> that day. By the time I started Judas and the Black Messiah, I had the premiere for it. I, had, you know, I was eight or nine Bud Lights in. Jesus, and I didn't, re- you know, receive the movie as well as I've received the rewatches. I've rewatched it twice over the weekend, studied it, researched it, Mike. I lo- I really enjoyed the rewatches of this film after uh, an irresponsible and stupid way to watch it the first time. How, how did you take it in, though? Please, we're both coming at this from angles that I think are are not you know us being on the straight and narrow and like of clear mindedness because you are you just talked about having sat there and you didn't like a lot of your Sundance experience. I mean, you were down in a lot of movies and yeah. that is that that's just the facts of the matter. And so I maybe, loved some of it, but I hated. Yeah, a lot right. of it. and yeah. maybe sitting through some bad movies that force you to drink may have put you in a bad state of mind for watching this one i'm so desperate we've talked about how down yeah. on this film year overall i am mm-hmm. i'm just so desperate to want something to win best picture i'm wondering if that taints my view of this as well in the same way and so i i wonder if i'm higher on this than i should be 
especially because I'm there's rarely movies that we review that I'm higher on than you are, and that seems to be the case here. So I'm, I'm very curious to know where this conversation went. I tried desperately to go in with no expectations, mm-hmm. and if anything, maybe that's why I am so high on this because my expectations couldn't have been lower. Because at this point, I was just like, all right, let's. this is just another movie we got to get out of the way to get to talking about award season in whole, full now. I was really, really impressed by this movie. And I'm glad I was able to come back to it. And I'm glad yeah. you get a movie that you really enjoyed and that you do <laughs> think has gravitas for a word like, you know, or a phrase like best picture. You haven't had many, right. quote unquote, best picture contenders. And I do think that is... The staging for this episode today. Are we going to talk about Judas and the Black Messiah at the end of this two-week period as a Best Picture nominee? Right. And I do think that's a real possibility for it. It seems to be gaining, and we're going to talk about it in the Oscar lens, but here's here's something that I don't necessarily know if the Academy has gone for before. We've seen it in recent years, right? We've seen if Beale Street could talk, you know, get sidelined, and especially in, a best, in terms of a Best Picture nomination, right. Mike, for something like uh, Green Book. We have saw right. the sugarcoating of the issues in the past. This movie does not sugarcoat any issues. This movie hits you in the face with them, and we're grateful for it. And even if I was a moody audience member with substances involved <laughs> my first time, every watch of this movie, no matter if I'm rewatching it sober or not, this movie made me intensely sad. And yeah. there's a lot of good reasons for it. I, I've watched a lot of sad documentaries, international films this year in particular, so you'd think I'd be conditioned uh, to be able to handle something like this. St. Maud very, just mires you in sadness and death and terror, and that was another thing this weekend. Right. So even rewatching this movie, I am just up to my eyes in sad movies. It still just makes you so hopeless at times, Judas and the Black Messiah, and frustrated, and then you realize... Like you, sh- you should have realized all along. I mean, it's not the point necessarily, but the glimmers of hope of a movie like this can shine all the more through a movie where you have to go through the ringer. And this movie does put you through the ringer, and it tries to be honest about history. And I, I can appreciate on a rewatch some of those scenes between Fred and Deborah so much more, and they matter so much more coming off the rewatches. But yeah, I mean, a number one factor in a movie like this is what it says about times we're living in, how things yeah. haven't progressed at all. And, and how ways. it makes you feel. And I know, I mean, this is this is the industry's ignorance. This is our ignorance. And I know there's going to be all sorts of people listening to this that are like, yeah, no shit. This has been happening forever. Right. And it's not just, you know, racism just because God. white people are getting clued yeah. in on it now. And I don't right. think that, you know, I mean, I, I get that. But it, you're absolutely right. This in terms of movies that are supposed to make you feel, I don't think I felt more from any movie this year, other than maybe Soul, than this. And part of what I did feel is just disgust and anger and outrage and just bewilderment that this actually happened, so much so that I actually, uh, a part of this movie, if not you know the entire backstory, is based on a uh, an interview with Wild Bill, Bill O'Neill, yeah. uh, yeah. from a PBS documentary back in 1990 or 1991, I think, that I actually sought out and I watched. And I know movies, and I've said this a bunch of time, movies aren't historical artifacts. Mm-hmm. They're characters, you know, actors playing characters. But there is, it seems to be a lot of authenticity between what was shown here and what 
was factually uh, explained in that documentary and in other historical uh, videos that I did look up on this. So I think that anger is even underscored more so when you do realize how much of the truth seems to be being told here. A lot of the lines in the movie are verbatim from the civil trial, the longest civil trial in history. Verbatim, what's in the court documents? And you know, if you research this story, if you research this history, it's here. It's in the movie. Mm. And Shaka King really did a good job engaging an audience in it. Now, here's the cruelty of that when you have a biopic format or you have a biopic expectation or you have uh, this is the departed, right? This is this is Leo versus Damon. This is right. You know, this is Lakeith versus Daniel, and those movies don't subvert the tropes of the genres like this one does. And I would say every one of these subversions, it's just a gut punch. And I think he's doing it deliberately. I, you could see the, the the structure of it. I, I just, I think it's brilliant at times how he, you know, basically wants to rewrite the the genre and be more honest about the history but am i beholden to screenwriting principles that i've been taught all along am i beholden to what i did learn in school and is that is that in my head about that i do wonder about that a lot i I wonder if in general about me never mind about about us about with these tropes but yeah well, right. I, I mean, I wonder if somebody who comes at this from an academic standpoint is going to have more. I, I mean, and this is part of the difference between you and I in reviewing any movie. I, I come at it. You have that background and I just come off of feel and studying it and seeing, you know, in plain view. And I, I, I care more, I think, about just I put more value into how a movie makes me feel and if it's a representation of the time. Yeah. Those are two boxes that are checked heavily by this. So I, I, this is just a really bizarre review because we both like this movie, but maybe not as much as everyone else, but still how much everyone else likes it doesn't seem to be enough for it to have awards legs either. It's just a really, there's a lot of circumstances and a lot of levels to what we're talking about. Never mind the levels that I think are present within the script and in the characters itself, even though some of them, it's you could just as easily argue are without levels. You're right. There's a lot of subversions of a lot of expectations, both on film and in the practice of being a critic for this film i think you texted me something that actually made me reframe how i looked at this movie over the weekend before my most recent rewatch though that kind of that you you really did help me quite a bit when you said to blind squirrels and nuts michael blind squirrels (laughs) you said the conflict in this movie or this movie's more about the times it's more about the fbi and the movement than it is about Daniel versus Fred. And I yeah, think I think this is a poorly poorly titled movie. Right. We're conditioned. We're conditioned to just relate to the main character. Right. And you know, repel re- repel from the antagonist. And yeah, relate to the antagonist as well. And we're used to going on that journey of change, that hero's journey between those two characters. But what happens when you kind of fix those characters into this collision course and, and a lot of movies do this it's not just it's not just you know undercover films because we've seen it before donnie brasco etc mm-hmm. we've we've seen the departed you know have characterization that varies we've, we've right. seen it before we've had characterization where arcs are not steep in movies it happens all the time in satire i'm gonna go over it in spoilers 
But my biggest issue after my first watch was like, all right, he's Judas from scene two. After mm-hmm. scene one, he turns into whatever. Scene two through 22, he's Judas. And in scene three through 23, he's the, he's you know, he's this messianic historical figure. And they don't really change. Now, I just think the, when you reframed it for me and, and it say, hey, it's about the community uh, right. in this film. It's about the FBI and how they've escalated. It's about everything around them. And it's about the or you know the the gravity around these two central characters where the conflict changes and and that's true I guess I'll talk about it now actually because being there that's totally true for a satire like being there right mm-hmm. and it, less so Forrest Gump but Forrest Gump is the same structure let's just say but being there everything changes around that central character it's a satire about the times and this is not a satire but this is speaking to the times we're living in so if you wind up with a overwhelming feeling that there is stasis that we are stuck in the same mud mm-hmm. that our ancestors yeah. were stuck in that's where we have to that's, that's what that's we have to recognize. What I was going to underscore, too. It's like this movie, the type of movie, if that is what, what was going for here, is that it's supposed to be a snapshot, and that's the relatability more so than the characters themselves. Yeah. You you ha- almost have to rely on emotion, emotional appeal to, to make your point. It's kind of like, I remember we had a very similar argument with Darkest Hour when we first saw it, and my, my biggest gripe with that was like, Nothing happened. There was no antagonist, like, and it was. It was the similar type of movie. It was off screen. Hitler was off screen, right? Right. It was a snapshot in time and how that was supposed to make us feel about today's time and our today's government in a way, while against the backdrop of it being a biopic of Winston Churchill in the same way. However, yeah, not. But this, I think, this is useful to us. We had a surrogate in that film. We had Lily James, right? Right. We had a surrogate character. It's not like it, if like we went into the Titanic and we had surrogate characters Jack and Rose who completely changed in that movie. Right, fall in right. love. It's totally different. Most times that a that a writer they tackles something like this, they take the artistic license of putting in a surrogate character or changing a, a historical character into that audience surrogate. That's not happening here. And, and that's talk about a subversion admirable. too. I think that might be purposeful, too, because part of what made this portrayal of Fred Hampton such a martyr is because he didn't change. Like, his focus the entire time was equality and the betterment of his people. Right. And and even when the walls were closing in on him and you can see things were getting very bad for him, his response to the people who were trying to get him away and try to get him into hiding was, we have to worry about building this medical center. We have to worry about the kids in the community. Like, that that to me, you're right. There There isn't a lot of evolution in that type of character, but it's remarkable that there wasn't because of mm-hmm. all the pressures he was facing and all the, all the pressures around him that... You should change. Maybe you should change for self-preservation. His worry was not self-preservation, which is kind of a circumvention of a trope for a protagonist in a way. I don't think you're wrong. And I think the evidence uh, in in what you're saying actually comes to us as film critics through bio documentaries. And I I had all this written down in spoilers, but it's fitting that we go over it now. RBG. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mr. Rogers, uh, won't you be my neighbor? I'm skipping ahead here. I had one more. And uh, sorry for the awkward edit. Uh, the one more was MLK FBI. When you follow these bio docs, these archival docs, you see these real life heroes 
at very young ages uh, laying out their life's work. Like, RBG laid out her life's work when she was 23, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Martin Luther King knew exactly what he had to do when he was at a very young age. And here's Fred Hampton, 21 years old, and he knows what needs to be accomplished, and it, it, he does stick to it. And it, it's not uncommon for these people that accomplish great things to have their shit together at a young age and know where they're going or to have these, mm. you know, to have these passions and to follow those passions. So that, you know, I mean, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she knew she had to systematically fight for change and, and, and women's rights. She had to systematically do that. She knew that again at 24 years old. And here's Fred Hampton. He knows what he has to fight for and how he has to fight for it. And, yeah, he leaned into the political theater, and that issue antagonized people he should not have antagonized, uh, just based on, obviously, historical facts. The Black Panthers are speaking against the government as a group. They're one of 100,000 groups in this country that have done so and that do so on a daily basis. That's freedom of speech. It's a double-edged sword for everybody. And the fact that, you know, the government under J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI under J. Edgar Hoover would target and wage war on a group like this for saying those things when... We've seen it. Again, we've seen it these well, last so, 20 years. Right. It, how well, we don't well, wage war against these people with tiki torches walking around saying the same right, shit exactly. from a different how about, angle. It's hypocrisy. It's a nightmare. If you talk about representation or reflection or, or being able to relate, I mean, whether you talk about what happened with the stock market and GameStop and, and, and the, the brokers, you're talking about the Black Lives Matter movement. The One of the running themes of the last couple of years yeah. on a, various levels has been there's two separate Americas. You know, there's the, there's the America for the rich white people, and there's the America for the poor. There's right. the America for the white man, and then there's the America for the black man. That, that's portrayed here, and it's just a, you know, a freaking problem that was going on. Centuries, decades, right. Yes, I mean, it's been on going on forever. And, and that's what I think is, that's where the sadness and anger and the, you know, the angst comes from for, for us. And again, it's not just happening just because we became aware of it now, and I understand that. But it, it, it is more of a prevalent issue, and it's more of a relatable issue, I think, for a wider variety, of wider swath of people. And I think that's a good thing. And I think if a movie like this can bring out those feelings in people uh, who otherwise who are just becoming wise to the issues, I, I, I think that helps. It's going to help in the long term. I hope. I hope so, too. And I, I think historically, understanding the context is a mission we all need to take. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and Shaka King was talking about it in his interviews like we're hoping that a conversation about the suppression of a, a group of people will, will come out of this and the suppression that you know the powers that be took and if that's literally the wage goal war. of this i think it's you can't say it's not a wild success right and and we see i mean that's the whole point of this narrative we're talking about general script thoughts here we see how the arguments are framed. They're framed in a context with the stakes of life and death coming off of Martin Luther King's assassination, mm-hmm. right? C- c- going into Malcolm X or coming off of Malcolm I'm, Now I'm losing my the historical timeline, but I, I believe we're coming uh, into Malcolm X's assassination at the start of this film. Anyway, we have 
war already having been waged on political leaders that if any of them speak out against the government, as is their right to do, they're assassinated by these administrations. Yeah, they become in enemies the of the state. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's a war waged against them. This has been a race war behind the scenes forever. And we've, I, I mean, we've known about this, of course. So the fact that the fact that we have a, a movie posturing itself in the aftermath of that, this is a twenty-one. This is a group of twenty-one-year-old kids. These are a group of young people who call bullshit on the government mm-hmm. and speak out against it. And when a hundred other, you know, groups like it do so, they're all right. Whatever they can. Yeah, you they get a do. pass. You get a pass. But, you get a pass, and you. But don't. when this group does yeah. so. They're targeted, they're infiltrated, they're, it's total war. It's literal total war, and they're systematically killed. Right. And, and, and again, I say, you know, not a historical document and all that, but if it, it's tough to not land on the conversation of systemic oppression and, systemic oppression and the similarities between what's going on now and what we see in every day on the news and what happened then. And, and it's shocking. And I, I, that's... That type of thing in a movie matters to me, and that's the same reason I thought Get Out was part of the reason. Anyway, I thought Get Out was one of the best pictures. That's why I was, you know, so high on on One Night in Miami. I am high on One Night in Miami. I'm high on a couple others this year, and it's also why I'm so not like I'm gritting my teeth. I know this is part of the conversation. Why I'm so fearful that the trial of Chicago Seven is going to be viewed as the same message, and it's not. Yeah, and the trial of the Chicago Seven has a lot of those tropes in it, right? Right. You have these steep arcs for characters. You know, played by Eddie Redmayne and Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah, it's Cohen probably it. a more conventionally cinematic offering. It is. And we reduce the subplot. We we reduce the, the, high, the plot with the highest stakes to the subplot. Right. And that's right. what's the frustrating thing for you and I when we see a flaw. Another, that's a flawed movie. This movie's not a tier above everything else. I, I just number one. Let me get that across. I know we've talked about the movie in political terms. The Trial of the Chicago Seven. The mm-hmm. Trial of the Chicago Seven is very flawed, but the political terms are also important because Hollywood also reduced the the higher stakes plot line to its B or C story forever. They've always done this. Instead. You know, making a movie from the white male gaze, the forty-year-old white guys who face two years in prison. Never right. mind the the guy who's shackled in the in the courtroom. Right? I mean, it's it's. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding right. me? We're gonna use that as a statement picture this year. I am just as much to blame in the being the audience member of that because I that movie was presented in a certain way where Bobby Seal was not made to be a main character uh, within the Chicago Seven, and I I should have taken more offense to that at the time and i did not mm-hmm. bobby seal i think plays a bigger role in this plot than he does in the plot where he's in the movie in the courtroom right it's just thoroughly frustrating for another you know hollywood big budget movie to say all right here we recognize this is the more important story but we're going to tell this story instead because right. this is right. about the 40 year old white guy's version of events and we'll tell that story because we can because we're too afraid of telling the other story because we're not the people i mean whatever the reason let's fund the other story let's tell the other story what are we doing we've done this throughout hollywood history it's just we've you've always had the holocaust plot line c right. story in a lot of these movies i mean it's it, it's not just this issue of civil rights it's it's not just a, a race issue being suppressed in hollywood even though of course it is also that 
And and it's and again, this is not the trial of the Chicago Seven's fault. It's not the trial of the Chicago. It's not Aaron Sorkin's fault. I've loved his career. He's he's been a good guy. He's one of the good no, guys. No, it's Aaron a good Sorkin. movie. It just shouldn't. I mean, when you have these coming out in the same year. Telling, it's embarrassing. Right. It's telling, <laughs> telling different sides of essentially the same story. And I know it's an oversimplification, but it's what's in my head now, and I can't get over it. One movie has has an oppressed people who are striving for non-violent conflicts assassinated, and the other movie literally climaxes at a nice restaurant at the Democratic National Convention because there's an issue with crowd control. Yeah. I, it's an oversimplification. It's not just that. I know that. That's my Twitter version of those two films. But ever since I thought of that, I was like, I, I just can't get that out of my head. The, the the level of force, you hit the nail on the head. The level of force is entirely right. different. There, you have total war being waged on one group right. of people. And then the other group of people are, you know, they're getting beat up. And it's scary and it's dangerous, but it's not even in the same realm. And then you have a scene in the trial of the Chicago 7 where Sorkin pays deference to that inequality of stakes. Where, of course, Bobby Seale in that movie, Yahya Abdul-Mateen, is going to say, hey, this is, <laughs> you You guys aren't facing half the shit we're yeah, facing. right. So, I mean, it's just really frustrating when you have movies on the same tier. And I think a lot of these movies are on the same tier. And you have the more conventional film is probably the front runner for awards in a year like this, and that's just—it it really is frustrating to us when we see that. But we've always seen—we saw it three years ago, and right. we were screaming about it three years ago. Where I Green agree. Book I mean, I mean, beats you know. at Beale Street and Black Panther, and again, it, it happens to be the same issue of civil rights, of racial inequality, but it, it's not just that issue. We had it when we... We couldn't be a retrospective podcast anymore because every time right. we took on a category of five films, we were just, like, blowing blood vessels in our forehead because this, you know, because of the way things were. Right. I, I couldn't do it. I don't know about you. I couldn't do it. I couldn't, you know, talk about the fucking 1980s version of America being glorified. Yeah on screen always from the 40 year old white guy's perspective can do yeah, it and it was and it's i mean it's not just you know oppressed black people we're talking about any kind of minority group we'd had issues in the same with women and i'm not trying to pat ourselves on the back but you're making the point that this isn't something we're newly complaining about and for the love of god if we see it as blatantly as it is why can't the right. academy ever seem to they have such a hard time doing the less obvious thing and, and, well, and they have the same the education spotlight. we do to an extent even if it's not a literal education it's a filmic a cinematic education and it's like a tainted been, education because look who's been in charge of the system we've in the been conditioned right. to right. say hey these characters are supposed to do x y and z the hero's journey is supposed to do this we're supposed to we're accustomed to seeing this pov etc etc and yeah i mean this is this is an innovative film and in how it basically takes other genre conventions and it uses it for the biopic the historical biopic like i said i think i think it's really smart with the way they write it and uh i i, I was glad to discover that upon rewatch because on the first watch i was like it just i was surprised that it didn't follow the same you know blueprints that a movie like this usually follows that we usually use mike as rubric for these right. for these movies right and we check off boxes we don't check out here's where it, whatever that's not this movie and thankfully so yeah it, and it's it's unique in a lot of ways i agree and that's why i am very high on its screenplay and on its script and certainly 
on its performances as well. I mean, Lakeith Stanfield and, and Daniel Kaluuya, I think, are outstanding. It's not taking anything away from Dominic Fishback, who I know you're very high on as well in this, mm-hmm. but I, I just, I, I'm very, very impressed by a lot of aspects of this movie and performances are right along the top of the line. So Lakeith is probably in my tens, though. Is he is he in your five right now? I was thinking about it. If he's not in my five, he's six. I'm not trying to say he's a runaway, but he is so good in he's this, really I good. feel, when he when he's not speaking especially. And I think that's the hallmark of, 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 or at least one of the hallmarks of great acting, is when you can relay a whole different part of your character's personality or their constitution without speaking it into existence, without exposing on ex, give it. Exposing? Giving it expository? Whatever. <laughs> Whatever that word's supposed to be. Without <laughs> exposing himself, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, and you're right. It's not in a text. It's in right. his eyes. It's that's, in, that's, it's in and I think eyes. that's a big freaking deal, especially in a movie yeah. with this much gravitas as I think it has. It's remarkable how the performance he puts forth. I hope this is that stamp on his career kind of performance where he's officially on the Academy radar forever for good. Like I thought that happened already yeah, with, Am- with Am- Amazon's crown Heights or sorry to bother sorry you. To like, bother you yeah. I thought too. Yeah. Get out. Obviously he was breaking through Atlanta. Mm-hmm. He had the Emmy train going for that show. So I thought he was in that conversation already, but th- this is a, an example where, all right, he's a top tier performance, but he's not in a lot of people's, Five, he's not in everybody's fives. Does that influence you and I? I don't know. I still think, I still think his character kind of being more of a force of nature, a fixture from start to finish. Does that play on me? Yeah, I think it does. But mm-hmm. I do, I do love the performance. Uh, the big Oscar level performance that everybody is recognizing though is of course Daniel Kaluuya Mike he's been winning critics awards of late Dallas Fort Worth New Mexico Seattle and Toronto he's three for three like we talked about. I was just shocked in in the study at how there's his political theater and he's going off in the performance. He's not holding back. We've seen mm-hmm. it in the trailer. We saw it in the movie. It's it's really incredible. That's the category five, you know, modifier that Eric Weber put on it. But the quiet scenes, Mike, the quiet scenes with the, the Deborah character, Deborah Johnson character played by Dominique Fishback. To me, that makes me think about this performance in a totally different way because when you put him head to head with a Sasha Baron Cohen for instance who's also you know all kinds of political theater and mm-hmm. doing a great job of it don't get yep. me wrong I like I Sasha Baron Cohen in the trial of Chicago 7 but to me <laughs> I like the big muscular angry performance I like all of the emotions I like a Daniel Kaluuya performance and when he does it there and then he does it behind closed doors with these quieter scenes. To me, Kaluuya's doing everything that Sasha Baron Cohen did. He's just doing it better. It's tough to disagree with. And I also don't know what your biggest criticisms of this Kaluuya performance can be. I, I know you can. we have criticized Sasha Baron Cohen for a couple things. If you go back and listen to our OSP on Trial of Chicago 7. And if Sasha Baron, if, if, if this category is now to come down to those two, I... Like I guess Kaluuya's biggest criticism for me for what he does is that maybe he's too much of a deity and treated too too holy and he's too much of a martyr in this, except for the fact that that's genuinely how Fred Hampton seemed to be. If you go back and listen to the documentaries again, and maybe that's 
where the disconnect can come from. Maybe you shouldn't have to go and do homework on your own, but then again, if a movie makes you feel like this one, I think, should make you feel, you'll want to do that kind of work anyway. There's so many different variables attached to all of this. I don't know. All I know is Kalia is my number one in this category. He's my number one as well. I don't think that's going to change. I would still say, like, to me, somebody like Leslie Odom Jr., who, uh, as Sam Cooke, is doing special things like Gaga did a couple mm-hmm. years right. ago. Right, Because he's performing on stage. There's a performance within the performance. But is also doing that on right. stage, literally in front of these crowds in this movie. Like, the pu- actor purists... Yeah, there's a melody and a tempo and, yes. and a cadence no, to what he's doing, too. I mean, you know, I understand incredible. Leslie Odom Jr. is literally singing, but that I Am a Revolutionary speech that Daniel Kaluuya gives him, I mean, there's... That's that's call and response. That's a music. That's a song. I I, I loved it. It it sold the movie number yeah. one because the trailer. I, I can't imagine a trailer selling a movie better. But yeah, I, I do think he's he's doing both. But that like the performance behind the scenes where he does have more arc with Dominique Fishback as Deborah Johnson. Like again, there is arc for Bill O'Neill. There is the wrestling with what's happening. There yes. is an arc for. Uh, Fred Hampton in this story it's just it's shown as contrast it's shown in these side scenes it's not necessarily shown in the public eye because he is on the record and like you said any research you do you're going to hear lines verbatim from the record and I I think that's fascinating and important Mike we have this category other than Kaluuya in my opinion for the most part tabbing the bigger stars and and is a big star, but tabbing the bigger stars over the character actors that I think you and I would tab, and maybe yep. when we make our top fives, like again, I think there's special something special for Leslie Odom Jr. But I, I don't get Sasha Baron Cohen. I thought Mark Rylance was the Agreed. superior performance in that movie. I like that Chadwick Boseman is going to be in two categories. I think that's a tribute, but to me, Coleman Domingo and Glenn Turman. Uh, and, uh, you know, anybody from One Night in Miami should Eli be there. Eli for me, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I just, I have different different dudes in, yeah. in, in my top five this year, and maybe that's my own biases, but to looking at what we have, we seem to have Sasha Baron Cohen as a major contender. We have Leslie Odom Jr., and we have Daniel Kaluuya. I, you know, I wonder if Steven Yun was in this category with some category fraud, if he'd be up on that list. But I, I think that's what it's coming down to right now. The question that we said in the last episode is, you know, Daniel Kaluuya, is he almost expected here now, year after year? He's already broken through with Get Out. Is he somebody that's just going to, you know, be factored into this conversation on an annual basis so the Academy doesn't have to award him? Or are we seeing the change in the wind with these critics associations saying that, no, Daniel Kaluuya, that's the performance of the year. Let's give it to him. Well, I I also think there's a arguably just as big variable out there and what the hell is everyone going to do with Chadwick Boseman? Yeah, you know, that's, that is that is very true. But I mean, we, yeah. we've said it we've a couple times now. I mean, there's... Just no comparison. Right. If you're going on the merits of what the performances are, right, I agree. Like, if but, you wanted to compare his My Rainy Black Bottom performance, right. Chadwick Boseman, to this blows, performance. Blows the five bloods out of the water. I agree. Right. But the Academy does not do things in a vacuum. Like, what the hell? We know it this. It makes no sense. <laughs> so, I, I, there's uh, this category is as up in the air right now as I think anything on Oscar Sunday will be, even right. though... I think Kaluuya is phenomenal in this movie. He's phenomenal in this movie, and my guess is that the Academy's just going to fuck it up. <laughs> well, that's probably Seriously. a good, probably a good bet. <laughs> the, 
they might screw it up in, in worse terms than we're thinking, though, because they might give, like, Hopkins, and then they might give Sasha Baron Cohen, or they might give, you know, they might screw it up and, and give Hopkins and then think that they're given Chadwick lead actor, but they give it to Hopkins by mistake, and then they don't give it to... Like, because, again, I, if they gave Chadwick supporting actor, just... It's the tribute award, and Kalulia loses to the Chadwick Boseman Lifetime Tribute Award, even though we disagree with the merits of the performances. I get that, and I'm not going to hate on the... I, I usually hate no, on the Academy right. for doing stuff like that, but I think in this particular year... If that Hopkins performance or Riz Ahmed performance, if they have to award it in lead, and this year's supporting actor, I'm just saying it's 20 deep of a similar level. That's my opinion on the category. Yeah. And you want to, I don't want to be positive or negative. To me, it's the, the same tier of quality for a lot of guys. Now, I do think Kaluuya's a tip above. I do think Leslie Odom's a tip above. But I... Definitely, I, I definitely think there's a, a main tier, and we've said it throughout the year, Academy Queens, they agreed. I mean, the, the, a lot of people think that this was a category that was wide open. They ended up going with the stars, and now I don't think it's an, a, as egregious a sin to say Chadwick Boseman from Defy Bloods is who's close to that tier. He just doesn't have a lot of screen time in that movie. He's got some good scenes. He's close enough to that tier where I don't think it's egregious is what I'm trying to say, you know? And I'm trying to think of it from an Academy voting standpoint where... Well, they're re- they're fixing the vote to give Chadwick Boseman an Oscar. Right, which is going to open the door for who? I mean, that's going to... So well, Anthony of, Hopkins is well, right, right. So instead of, instead of awarding Chadwick Boseman lead and Daniel Kalia supporting, you're probably going to do Boseman supporting and Anthony Hopkins lead, which makes sense. I mean, that but, makes sense in that Anthony Hopkins is a far more Academy favorite. They could screw it all up and not give Chadwick anything. Right. And <laughs> it winds up being Hopkins and Barrett Cohen. Oh, right. no. Right. Right. Oh. With Chicago 7 winning Best Picture, which would be fun for everyone. That would not ah! Mike, Dominique Fitchback, <laughs> real quick. Deborah Johnson. I, she's in my top 10. I think supporting actress is another category that should be more wide open than it is. She has no precursors thus far, and it's aggravating. How like how is she not in the conference? Anyway, I just I thought she burst on the scene when night comes on. She she already been paying some dues with some really good work out there. Checking Fred in this movie is not easy. The more I mean, it, it's a convention to have the romantic interest be the moral compass, mm-hmm. but for for her to just execute it in this particular way, this unconventional way of her reading poetry and reading the, from the journal, like that's one of my favorite scenes of the movie. I just think she she put checking a balance on him and and that contrasting argument so well. And I just it, it just takes a lot for for an actor to be able to get that done. She's very reserved, too. I mean, we've seen kind of the uh, more understated performances be overlooked as the years have gone on here in doing this. So I'm not totally surprised. But, yeah, she's incredible in this. I agree. All right. Ensemble, real quick. I did not like the makeup on Martin Sheen. It was very So was that intentional by any chance, do you think? Bad makeup? Yeah, because, like, he he's the antagonism of the film to me. And yeah. if... I don't. We know people are in power are that racist and can be that blatantly racist I'm, I'm, and that look, gross. His character's on the record for being that racist, right? And, and all of his actions support it. With how he, you know, handled Martin Luther King. Never mind. I mean, so I don't. I don't have an issue. So is Shaka with, King going out of his way to make sure you're not seeing Martin Sheen with that bad makeup because and, it is that much and of we're a gross so human being? Familiar with Martin Sheen's face that yeah. it's just. It's just 
awkward to see him with the giant elf nose. It just made right. no sense. Yeah. No, that was, I'm, that I'm was really that. It was, it was It was distracting. I agree. Jesse Plemons' quiet nightmare. I mean, that low... I mean, it was like Michael Corleone-ish at time. It, it was scary. And yet it's still perplexing because he's somebody who thinks he does have a moral compass still. Because he has well, such a problem with the cops the covering poison. up a murder. Right. That's the poison in his words. Yeah, I mean, right. they did a good job with that. I mean, he, he, you have to make... You have to make people relate to all the characters. And to, yeah, I mean, the fact that they're smoking cigars and drinking this and that he's taking them out to dinner and all these seemingly right. nice things. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's not the truth of the situation. When the truth, the cards are down, it's a totally different situation. Uh, yeah, he's a totally different guy. Mm. All right, production values. And this is where the movie's really got to, it's got to surge, Mike. I love the cinematography of this. This this camera is constantly moving. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just a sign to me again of a filmmaker who's really in control of the craft, who knows what he's doing. We have uh, Steve McQueen's DP from a couple films: Twelve Years a Slave, Hunger, and Shame. Sean Bobbitt is the cinematographer here, and we, I mean, the zoom ins, the, I mean, right from the opening shot, the scoping around the car, following him into the bar. I just, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of this cinematography. That, that camera is constantly changing and the way they frame some of these yeah you know I epic mean, scenes wow i'm with you i i think it's underrated as well and i would put as impressed as i was with the cinematography i put editing in the same category i think this editing is spectacular and that's where it needs to come in right i yeah. think i think uh next best pictures on it Kristen sprague getting the the love from some of the pundits out there not enough of the major pundits yet for me to feel like editing's gonna come through. But in most years, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about this in a second. In most years, it needs to do more than like three to get a best picture. But all right, we're we're getting there. Love the score and the soundtrack, mm-hmm. and I think I'm gonna hear that jazz melody, like where the instruments kind of like fall on the floor at the end of it, <laughs> like before I die. That's <laughs> like when I, I oh, Jesus, I just, I hate to get so dark, but that I, that's going to be in my head. It's not going to leave me. Obviously the original song by her has really, uh, you know, catapulted up into everybody's top fives so for this category. It's so good. It, I, I still think that's going to win. And I think, I mean, hers is an, also an awards favorite. I mean, she, <laughs> she plays well at the Grammy. She's been there the last couple of years. I could see, people taking a very quick liking to that song. It makes a lot of sense. It's a fun song. I was listening to it throughout the day. Um, You know, the lyrics of all these songs are on the nose. It just always is that, I don't know. Again, I'm not a music critic. Don't listen to me. That would be my one criticism, though, to be honest. Like, Mm -hmm. the the lyrics are like the movie. It's understandable. Yeah. You know. All right. Uh, Oscar Lenz, AFI and MBR top 10, obviously supporting actor, obviously original song, seemed to have momentum. The short list came out. Original song was in there. Hidden Figures got a Best Picture nom only off of a supporting actress and an adapted screenplay in 2017. So there's recent history to where a movie can only have a few nominations. But 4v Ferrari was there last year with four. Parasite ended up winning everything. Obviously, that's six, which is a more the number you expect to see a Best Picture winner have. Yeah, Green Book only had five, right? So... I mean, we, we've seen lesser nominations. We've seen above-the-line nominations uh, come through, and that's enough. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, hoping for, I'm hoping for some more momentum for this movie at this point. I do think it's got 
The critics were on its side at this point. 96% on 209 reviews, 87 Metascore. The Sundance play seemed to really work for Warner Brothers. That was very smart. Again, Warner Brothers knows exactly what they're doing mm-hmm. in posturing these films. Uh, they, they do it every year in, year out. They really have a good track record. So I, uh, I think they, they made the right play there. This movie's hitting the zeitgeist at the right time. So the, it, things could totally change for it. We, we've seen fatigue in this particular year. We've seen a lot of people just, you know, want to break away from the front runners at, at every different yeah. stage of every year. But in this particular long ass year, you never know. Uh, and I'm just very hopeful something does break through. I, I'm with you. I think in turn, if this one is going to have any kind of real chance at best picture or even a best picture nom, it needs another something somewhere. Shaka King kind of looks like. He's being overlooked in director. Screenplay, I would think it's going to show up. I don't know. There's no, like, there's not a lot of locks. And for how I came out of this movie, my couple watches, and I did rewatch it just to kind of make sure I wasn't just speaking all biased and positive about it, but no, very few movies have made me feel uh, as strongly as this one did. And I don't think anything has this year. I, that's subjective, but I would love to see this do better than it seems like it's doing right now. And the critics' scores reflect kind of where I stand on it. I mean, you know, 96% and 87 Metascore, there's that many good things to say about it. Hopefully it does take a foothold at some point, uh, like you're saying. We're rooting for it. We say watch it. Let's. Uh, we actually covered most of the spoiler stuff yeah. on spoilers. Yeah, we did. We really didn't <laughs> give away spoilers, but all right, we'll, we'll have a not. We'll have a spoiler warning in a spoiler section. Here we go. Spoilers ahead. This is a spoiler warning. Spoilers. Spoilers. This is the spoiler section of the Oscar Sprint Profile of Judas and the Black Messiah, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. If you've not seen the movie yet, this is a good place for you to hit pause on this episode. Go check it out. It's streaming now on HBO Max. If you've seen the movie already, or if you're just curious to hear our thoughts, or if you have to hear what we have to say right now about the spoiler section, even though we already covered the spoiler section in a weird way in the non-spoiler section, but that's all right. This is where you want to be. It's all spoilers from this point out for Judas and the Black Messiah, the Oscar Sprint Profile, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Mike, let's start at the end, as we do so many times here in these OSPs. Uh, the suggestion of this movie is mm-hmm. that Wild Bill killed Fred Hampton, poisoned him, and Fred Hampton was dead prior to the police or the feds essentially well, assassinating him, right? Well, Lil Rel's character at the bar said it wasn't going to kill him. It was going to knock him out. Right. So, But you're right in the sense that after, at his high point in crisis, and they really showed that well with that extreme close-up of his face. And mm-hmm. His entire face is like tingling. Right. Like how, you know, uh, Daniel Kaluuya didn't recognize that. How Fred Hampton didn't recognize that the dude is, you know, deep going through it there. You know, maybe was... I don't know. I had a slight criticism there. Like, a year. If, you, if somebody came up to me like that and offered me a drink, I'm never taking it ever. Right, right. But yeah, I, I agree with that. That was Again, it's was... the extreme close-up. Mm-hmm. So it's very powerful in the medium, I would say. And Lakeith Stanfield is an optimum 
kind of do to convey that. So he's just he did a great job. And it's almost like he had Stanfield, a vein in his eye going off. Yeah. Well, well, Keith Stanfield had been unraveling. Like he he's obviously up against it in a lot of ways. He doesn't want to snitch out Fred Hampton once he realizes that Jesse Plemons' character basically wants to ha- have Fred Hampton assassinated. He starts freaking out. He doesn't want to be an informant anymore. More anyway, he's finding himself buying more and more into what the what the Black Panthers are selling, and that's become obvious even to uh, Jesse Plemons' character. He goes, he basically snaps to the point of trying to coerce Fred Hampton to use explosives and like do something outwardly harmful. Well, yeah, he's he's got the wire on. He's trying to entrap. Right. He wants out of the situation. He wants it over. I mean, desperately. He, he so, wants I, it over, and and he's rejecting from Jesse Plemons and Lil Rel Howery in the scenes prior, which makes this a really smart way to you know record this finale between these you know this collision course, and it's implied. It's implied that you know he gave him the poison, and it's mm-hmm. implied that you know Fred was knocked out. Because of Bill's drink. And the cop and, did say he looks like he's going to make it before he shot him. I don't know if that was the cop being just an asshole. Well, that's verbatim from the civil trial, by the way. That's right. like one of the first things you find. I mean, that's a, everybody said that's what was said in that right. room. Yeah. Man, who knows if he was being serious or just, you know, by, because at that point the cops were just, I mean, they were fucking well, it was an murders. They were it's murders. An ex- yeah. yeah, murder. It was an execution. It was... Uh, it was in you know waging war on this group of people at their apartment with impunity and it's disgusting and and the fact that they only got 2 million instead of the 47 million that they sued for after, in that trial is after how also, long that trial went on too i mean does that even cover legal fees at that point 12 yeah 12 years i hope yeah. i hope it was pro- some somebody pro bono uh, yeah. but 12 years oh my god all right the end of this movie is a bit soul crushing, which is probably why you know nine Bud Lights into my first watch, I had problems with the movie. Well, <laughs> they, really they do rough. also they do make it deliberate to add t- uh, title cards at the end to give you that you know it's a Fred long Hampton. curtain, which right. is yeah, it, it's grateful, but it's also like it's talking about Bill's suicide and the fact that right, right, you know the fact that he committed suicide the night of his one interview on the one PBS documentary. Oh my god. Unbelievable. I, I, I mean, how do you? It's incredible. It's the, everything. Every step of this is incredible. And what's most? It's it's incredible. The feeling you have most is probably depression or anxiety that it's still happening today. This type of thing is still going on. And I mean, look at the Black Lives Matter march and how many people, you know, how many armed guards were out there during the Black Lives Matter march in Washington, D.C. versus how many armed guards were out there during what happened on January 6th at the Capitol. I mean, it's just, oh, my God, whatever. Anyway. I I think this movie, uh, to get to, to get in our best scenes, because, yeah, I, did, I, don't, I don't mean to gloss. The politics is... We could do a whole nother podcast right. on it, Mike, and I don't just mean a podcast episode. We could do like a whole, we could start a politics right. and film podcast so just forever, talk about it. And you're right. I just I think with everything going on with the trial this weekend, you know, studying it this weekend wasn't easy. But you know, who cares about our state of mind necessarily? Right. But it look the Fred Hampton speech that actually kind of like lasered in was the one he gave to white people in this movie. Mm-hmm. And he talked about, Amer- quote, America is on fire right now. And so many oppressors are out there, but what are the people concerned with? 
first yeah. and foremost. They're concerned what's your culture going to be if this building gets lit up today? Yeah. Well, they're concerned with water and escape mm-hmm. <laughs> to deal with the fire. And that really encapsulated the whole film to me because here you have all the powers of the federal government waging a war on these 20-year-olds leading this organization, this national organization, probably a decade before they were ready to do so because they didn't realize what they were up against. And they probably should have, but they... I mean, what what are they going to do? This is a 20, you know, 19-year-old kid. Unbelievable. 18-year-old kid leading the this group of people uh i just it boggles my mind how mature you have to be but th- for him to say what he said against the government for him to in that speech to just i mean to lay, lay it out all right we're getting there but like to, to me like the one of the best sequences was forming the rainbow coalition and there's a couple scenes around that but you know the the crowns into the to, into the crowns HQ in Chicago there that's an epic sequence yep. where fred basically he unifies with the leader of the crowns by essentially telling the guy hey i'm willing to die for this i expect to die for this and i expect to uh, we're both going to die for our people mm-hmm. and you know who are you going to believe are you going to believe me when i tell you and the guy the leader of the crowd crowns is trying to like push him to be like come on you're really about just leading people and about power right you're really about just you know you're not right. actually this, this type is, of guy this is politics this is a power grab right and and and, and, and fred goes no i'm we're we're dying for this right. this is this is life and death i already realize i'm dying for this this is my cause yeah yeah so you you want to tell me that i'm grabbing for power you know, I, right. I I know where where this is going, and that's the tragedy of it. That's why when these set, when I talked about this movie subverting these tropes, like like you don't have that scene in Braveheart when they're uniting the clans. Right, you have the freedom. I mean, it, it's all hopeful. It's we're gonna win and we're gonna rule and we're gonna get these fucking assholes who oppress our land out of here. But no, this is Fred every step of the way saying. Yeah, I mean, even that big speech in the middle, he's like, I'm going to die. I, my body's delivered to the uh, revolution. And it does so much. I mean, it helps the relatability of this film. It helps the, the reflection of this film. It helps you understand the character of Fred Hand. Like, there's so many layers. That's why I, I, I can't get into all of them. We just, but it's, I feel like you could think about any one scene in this movie and come up with at least five or six different talking points that aren't necessarily plot related. It's dense. It's a dense film. And I, you know, like the movie starts out. I mean, the opening thirteen minutes is really important because you have obviously you have the the I mean, gorgeously photographed. Even though it's a harrowing scene of the failed car theft and just scary stuff, but a great score, great my God, crazy scene of Bill doing what he does, being Wild Bill there and getting caught. But then you go, you cut to early Fred Hampton, and early Fred Hampton is checked by Deborah, who's like. Why are you making fun of the guy for having cultural pride? Why are you making fun of him for having black pride? But the, the shiki is is not enough to win this war. We, you know, they've declared war on us, you know, a hundred years ago, and they've been committing you know, atrocities against our people for the last fifty. So of course, you know, he's got this militant approach, but he wasn't. He was using you know the dashiki against the guy and that's why the guy walked out and she checks him on it at the end in the mm. most like gentle intelligent way possible do you like poetry why do you know and why do you do that and he he galvanizes the people 
not only on black pride by the end, but on their, you know, togetherness. And that's a, he, he totally flips. So to talk about Fred, as I talked about him, it might've been a simplification earlier when I said he has no arc. Of course he has an arc and Deborah spurs that arc on, which is why it's so tragic that they went with the text. And, and I keep coming back to that. I am a revolutionary chance speech, right? That huge political theater. That was the centerpiece of the trailer. And, Jesse Plemons as the antagonist nodding at, you know, Bill in that scene. Mm-hmm. And, and Jesse Plemons is going to, you know, quote that scene later on. When, you know, uh, Fred talks about killing the pigs is kill them all and that's the satisfaction. Obviously, he's declaring war, even though they're not waging war. They're declaring it in that scene. Is it inciting violence? I mean, again, it's the tragedy of the film and it's Shaka King showing us that this was a 21-year-old guy who went off and said some things he shouldn't have said. I mean, it's very clear. My politics on this scene are very clear. You shouldn't say, you know, death to all anybody, right. in my opinion. Right. And why do I feel confident in, in saying that Shaka King believes as much? Well, the very next sequence of scenes is... Deborah Johnson basically checking Fred on that. And then the women in this movie, that when he meets with uh, Algie Smith's mother, um, Winters, Mrs. Winters. That's another, yeah. Another great scene where she's yep. like, yeah, he murdered that policeman and my son killed in this war. I mean, but that's that basically, wasn't all he was about. Exactly. It's basically, say, it, it's, that speaks to so much. Again, it's just like, Okay, Fred Hampton was painted. The Black Panthers, for the majority of the nine, you know, eighties and nineties, yeah. were also I remember painted by the media as this radical group that was, you know, uh, they were a terroristic group and blah blah blah. And it's just look, everyone has layers. Everything has layers and nuance. And obviously, Fred Hampton was genuinely a good man looking for equality. And and yeah, my son killed someone, but he wasn't just a murderer. He, you know, and even the Fred Hampton speech, even the I am the revolutionary speech that was framed so well. I, right. as I think a lot of scenes in this movie are by Shaka King. That was framed so well because it was just on the heel. I forget if that was Fred Hampton just getting out of jail or if that was news that that kid had just died, that he had to give that speech yes. to the church to. So he's full of piss and vinegar and rage. And of yes. course he can't go out there and just, you know, say, give the fucking ironically, he can't give the Eddie Redmayne speech from Chicago seven. Cause he knows that he knows the stakes are greater. And that's another difference between these two movies. You can't just say, right. you know, let's fill the streets with blood because if you do that, then the cops are just going to come in and mow you down. Cause they're chomping at the bit for a reason to do so anyway. It and when he does, do that, looks what happens. Yeah. Right. Look what happens. And unfortunately, you know, he, he provoked for the final time in that scene, he provoked Hoover and Hoover had him killed. Yeah. And it's shown as cause and effect in this movie. But that's but the difference. So Isn't that more. the biggest difference yeah. between this and Trial of the Chicago 7? Right. How you the, can the, take the biggest that stakes. other movie. Right. right. I mean, the, are the stakes the are just, they're totally different. Totally different. It's two years it's in prison. Movies, I understand it's movies we're talking about here. Right? Yeah. I understand it's all fictional and it's all actors. But at some point, it, it the history behind it matters, doesn't it? And it is shown through all of the side characters in this movie. And maybe that is this, you know, quote-unquote film-principled flaw. Maybe it's a film school flaw, this movie, that film school people can then point out. You're right. But Chaka King is showing the contrast throughout this movie. You have a character saying the NAACP doesn't move fast enough for me. You have another character saying that... or You have Fred himself talking about how reform doesn't end the slavery it just turns 
people into uh, it's just slavery in another form. You right. have the framing of the argument that proves tragic at the beginning where Fred goes, politics is just war without bloodshed and war is politics with bloodshed. And unfortunately, that is a gross misunderstanding for Fred in that scene because it was just war from the beginning. And that's the tragedy. And it, it really makes me sad when I think about it because he, you know, he knew enough that it was war from the beginning based on arming themselves and et cetera. And this morning I reread the speech from Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death in 1775, oh, okay. March 23rd, St. John's Church. Just Googling that real quick. Awkward edit. Sorry. That, that speech is the same thing. It's the same thing that he was talking throughout this movie. Now, that's the price you pay for a democracy. You could right. speak out against your government in this democracy. You could say, you could say, you know, whatever you want to say, and you shouldn't be killed for it. Right. In this democracy, and he was killed for it. He was targeted, and he was killed for it. And the 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 tragic misunderstanding of Fred is he he knew it, but even in that classroom scene. He didn't learn it yet, unfortunately. And, right. and, and there's gonna I think be, Shaka King's showing as much. There's going to be, you know, people out there who say, well, that should go both ways, even if you say something that, you know, the liberals don't want to hear. And that's the point we're making. Like, it doesn't right. go both ways. That's because, why the ACLU, well, that's why the ACLU defends white supremacists on their freedom well, of speech. But, but but you can't, you, you're, you, there's much more leeway to say it if you are a white, you know, that's... There, well, there's of much course, of right, course. and that's they, they, that's the point. Yeah. That's the that's it doesn't go both ways. It, it does go that one way, right? When a white teen makes a mistake, he's given over to his parents. When exactly. A, when a black teen exactly. makes a mistake, they're shot by a cop. Exactly. It's, it's, the, the, it's the way it's been for a hundred exactly. years, and it's it's the extreme inequality here. But so this movie, I walk away from this movie feeling like we have Shaka King showing the alternative arguments throughout the inevitable conflict and you have checks on the character with poetic deborah literally reading her poems mm -hmm. you have you you have a movie that yeah it may feel like gallipoli where the kids are just you know forced to go into this senseless war and that's why you know because i work with kids this age and slightly older and slightly younger than this age right and it's just I, this this character reminds me of those kids that you know I've seen, you know, just uh, get angry and say some things that you know if they say the wrong thing, nothing happens to them. It's mm -hmm. uh, you know may, they get a slap on the wrist. This kid says the wrong thing and he's not a kid. He's more man than I'll ever be. But I'm just saying he he says the wrong thing and he's killed for it. Right. And, Which is and, not in a moment of, of weakness, in a moment of all, rage, right? Just right. rage after his friend's killed. And it's not unique either to just this guy. I mean, that's he's no. a representation. He is a martyr. It's and that's the suppression. That's yeah. that. Yeah, that's the that's the nightmare. Uh lot. But, I mean, look, lot to unpack. A lot of movie. And I again, we I want to reiterate what we said at the outset of this. If if we are missing something, we know we are blind and and impossible to relate to a lot of aspects of this. I mean, we talk about what we can relate to and what we theorize is out there, but if you want to correct the record on us, feel free, reach out to us. We do want to participate in this conversation. Uh, that's a big part of that. With all that right. said, let's put a cap on this episode. Let's talk about final grades. Mike, where do you have it? Yeah, I talked myself up. I came into B86. I just think, 
I think a movie like this is is doing. Th- it's it really fucking s- matters. It it's fucking so smart, matters though, too. It's so smart and how he's structurally using different genres to write this particular genre. And I it, love it, it as a middle it's finger. So well, done. Yeah. well, that's the thing. We've gotten so frustrated with this particular genre, yeah. the biopic. As just accelerating all of this exposition. This was the moment that Judy had this revelation and she became mm-hmm. this character. And no, we're, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take a freaking 1970s satire. I'm going to use that story structure to show this particular story because it's about the environment. And that was, again, you, you you, your text to me was the epiphany. I know I get on you about your text because I don't like to argue via text. <laughs> I do. I can't do it. It just drives me nuts. I'm old. Anyway, that text opened this movie up to me. I have so I'm a B plus, probably 88. I would yeah, say wow. at the end of the day, I, I I'm gonna add points. I'm gonna add two points. B. I had a B 86 going into it, which is a strong grade for me. Yeah. But B plus 88, I think, puts this movie on that tier of everything, the best of everything else we've gotten. Like I haven't gotten an A minus this year other than, you know, soul soul was mine. Yeah. That's, soul was my that's one the A- highest we've had. Yeah. And, and I've talked about tenant. I had an A minus and crypt camp had an A minus. Well, I, I rewatched those movies. They're down points. I rewatched Malcolm and Marie. It's down a point. It's not there. Again, this happens a lot, and that's why we talk about these things. Some are film studies where we've seen it three, four times. Sometimes we're, re, you know, reacting on a first watch. Well, this was a study, and yeah. I, I feel more confident now. I'm I'm there. I had an 89 after my first watch. I'm towing the line. I might have talked myself up into an A-minus range, but I know it's... Wow. Look, I don't... As far as overall rankings for pictures of the year i still think i have soul ahead of it i think soul was a 91 but this is 89 90 i mean it's right there for me this is this is i think easily the most important movie i've seen this year but it's just one or two of the most powerful and that's uh, how i feel about it i can't disagree i think this is uh this was so worth it as a film study i'm glad we did it and i had a lot of anxiety about it and again hopefully we we did it. We did our best, but again, like you said, we need to uh, we need to be checked ourselves. Yeah, and, you know, we're, we're, DMs are open. Please help us out. Help us learn. We're, we're listening, and and we thank you for it. Absolutely, absolutely. Underscore and echo all those sentiments. Uh, where you can reach out to us, as always, are our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram, as well as at MM and Oscar on Twitter. Uh, we also have Mike, Mike, and Oscar.com at gmail.com, and we're on Reddit as well. Feel free to reach out, drop us a line, and do so about anything else we do here in the MMO Empire. Uh, the only courtesy we would ask of you if you would be so kind if you do enjoy what we are putting out here on this show on a regular basis if you can go into the apple podcast app if you would tap on our cartoon faces and leave us a five-star review it would take all of about 10 seconds out of your day and we truly truly appreciate each and every one of you who have done so of that uh michael what is coming next from mmo and what are some words of wisdom here to end on so we got the wga nominations coming out uh tomorrow uh, and you guys today when you're when you're listening so we're doing oscar race checkpoint on those we're also gonna like again news may drop and fill these episodes in but we're gonna revisit some oscar films that we've taken 20 or 30 minutes to review in some cases 40 minutes to review uh, over the next few oscar race checkpoints so we're gonna do a nomadland revisit and we're gonna do i think a sound of metal revisit this week the following week, we may have a Minari revisit because we've already reviewed those, like we said. So 
that's going to be cool. I'm, I'm interested to see how we take in those movies uh, a second and third time. Mike, we also have some Golden Globes to predict and study and do some gambling stuff on. So next week we'll have a, you know, a Golden Globes predictions preview show that uh, should be a lot of fun as well. Get your wallets ready. So to, again, we're going to cost everyone money and also transition <laughs> from this conversation to a conversation about pooping in a bucket in an RV. So <laughs> how do we do that? It always happens. Yeah. No, we'll get back to our dad joking selves and uh, just sophomoric humor. Yeah. And yeah. Laughing yeah. at things that uh, this movie so much more than that scene. Like you are fixated <laughs> on that scene and I am letting you be. And... I am as God made me uh, guys. When reality sucks, you can come watch all these contenders with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we'll see you very soon. See ya.